I didn't plan it, but we just happened to be in my head. I was thinking, where does the mixed multitude say they want to go back to Egypt? And uh, that came from the day after the elections last week. And I told my wife, Lily, I says, it's as if our country says they want to stay in Egypt. They don't want to go forward. They don't want to find freedom. They're happy right where they're at. Now, it just so happens, that's right where we were at in our teaching, Numbers chapter 11. So I'm going to do a couple of things next time we come back to Numbers 11. It'll be in a couple of weeks. Uh, I'll review these 15 verses because I'm largely using them to springboard off into Prophecy Update tonight. Look at some of the world events that's happening and some of these things happening, just, you know, even what I wrote in my notes, and I was here till 3.30 putting things together today, but um, even my notes are already old, and things have changed since 3.30. And so um, things move rapidly in our world, as we know. And so I'll try to adjust those things that I've learned since. And uh, we'll take it from there. But we're going to be looking at Numbers 11, chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. And we are going to look at Israel, some of the things going on in Israel. A lot of the stuff that we looked at uh, happening now because of the elections last week in our country. I want to address some of those things in our country and then touch on some things that's happening in our world today and uh, kind of put a prophetic look at these things. I was talking to one of my friends yesterday um, who sent us a congratulatory video for December 3rd. I just determined I'm not going to look at him until December 3rd. I'll watch it with you guys. But he was trying to upload it, so he called me and kind of talked to him. Actually, he figured it out on his own. Maybe he just needed to have me on the phone with him to figure it out. But he got it uploaded. But we were talking about prophecy, and he had his Bible open, and he had this written at the bottom of this Bible. He said, I don't know who this quote came from, but this was the quote. So I texted him back today and asked him what that quote was. Prophecy has not been given to satisfy our curiosity, but rather it has been given that we might live cautiously. So prophecy has not been given to satisfy our curiosity, but rather it has been given that we might live cautiously. I've also heard that prophecy has been given not to scare us, but to prepare us for that which is in the future. And so I'm going to pray, open us up in prayer, and ask God to just open our eyes to his truths tonight. And so we thank you, Father, for those who are with us. we got a guys group here tonight. And we thank you, Lord, for the women who are taking care of the children's ministry downstairs, the youth that are here, Pastor Kevin and Melissa, and those who are ministering to our children and youth. Lord, we pray your blessing upon them and your blessing upon us this evening. We pray, Lord, your blessing upon those who may be listening on the radio. And right now they're realizing that this is live and not recorded. And we thank you, Lord, for those in our radio audience joining us. 
those who are watching through video, through either social media or through our webpage stream. We thank you, Father, for these abilities to have a larger audience than what we just see here at this building. But we also, Lord, know that our audience is greater than what our physical eyes can see as well. Your word tells us that angels look into the church with curiosity. We know, Lord Father, that your spirit is among us. And Lord Jesus, even you saying, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. So we welcome you, Jesus. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you, God the Father. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open to you tonight. Help us to learn from this passage and help us to be aware of things going on in our world, not to scare us, but to prepare us, Lord, also, that we might live cautiously in these days that you've placed us in. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So chapter 11 uh, really divides up, goes on further than chapter 15. I was trying to find a good place to break it off, but this seems to kind of get what we want to look at tonight, and then we'll get back to it in a couple of weeks. But chapter 11, the children of Israel complained against Moses and the Lord once again, and on this occasion, as we begin, they did not complain because of lack of water or lack of food, because the Lord had provided water for them already there in the wilderness and had been providing manna every morning for their daily bread. But now, at this point, we're at least one year, two months, maybe a little longer than that, but the last date check that we had here in the book of Numbers was one year, two months. So they've on the move. They went on a three-day journey. We come into this chapter. So it could be uh, that they're 14 months, maybe 15 months, But by this time, having forgotten the cruelty of the Egyptians who had enslaved their people for 400 years, they craved for the food of Egypt. Now, the cruelty, if you recall, they cried out to the Lord about this. Exodus 1, 13 and 14. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. So the Egyptians' hard bondage had caused Israel to cry out to the Lord for deliverance. And now in the second year of their freedom, they're just beginning that second year. They spent a year at Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments, um, building the tabernacle and and erecting the tabernacle there at the close of the book of Exodus. We were given God's laws. We were given the worship guide for Israel and the priest in the book of Leviticus. And now here in the book of Numbers, at least 14 months later, being weary of the wilderness, they longed for Egypt. So I titled this as kind of a, academic title, Prophecy Update, Takeaway from Elections and Other World Events. 
because that was on my mind today as I went into this passage. But I springboarded off this passage because of what I said to Lily last Wednesday morning. It's as if our country wants to stay in Egypt. And so we're going to see this take away from the election and other world events from Numbers 11, verses 1 through 15. We first look at the people complaining against Yahweh in verses 1 through 3. The mixed multitude yielded to their intense cravings. That's interesting, just the way it's worded in the Bible. They yielded to their intense cravings. Verses 4 through 6, we'll look at manna. Verses 7 through 9, and not my children, verses 10 through 15. So we begin in verses 1 through 3. The people complained against Yahweh. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. For the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some in the outskirts of their camp. And then the people cried out to Moses. When Moses prayed to the Lord, the fire was quenched. So he called the name of that place Tariba, because the fire of the Lord had been burned among them. So that Tariba uh, simply means burning. So the chapter begins with the children of Israel complaining against the Lord. And although the reason for their complaint, if you notice, wasn't mentioned in the first three verses, they were just complaining. It seemingly is something that Israel loved to do because we read about them complaining often. Now, no doubt, God heard Israel complain all the time, every time. But it was if the Lord had it, heard it, uh, in that sense, for the Lord heard it, that their complaints had reached to the heavens. It's as if the Lord was like, that's it, I'm done with this. And judgment began to come out from the fire of the Lord. So it doesn't really describe the fire, whether it came from the tabernacle, but the fire of the Lord burned those who were on the outskirts of the camp. And we find that that's a familiar thing with the children of Israel, that often those who are straggling uh, at the outskirts of the camp, the, the stragglers would be caught in battle against their enemies. And now we find the Lord coming against those who are on the outskirts. It's a good reminder to stay near to the Lord Jesus Christ and not to be a, a straggler or someone who's on the outskirts of the camp, but someone who is willing to draw near. So though their complaint is not mentioned, there was such discontentment and the Lord knows, and we all know too, that if discontentment remains, it can fester and quickly spread throughout the whole camp or a whole church or a whole country if it's not corrected. And it can ultimately lead to rebellion. Therefore, Yahweh put a stop to it, and he did so in a pretty uh, grand fashion with his holy fire coming and consuming the, some of those who are on the outskirts of the camp. And the people cried out to Moses, and Moses in turn cried out to the Lord, and the Lord responded by quenching his fire of judgment. Now Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 10, 6 through 11, now these things became our examples to the intent, 
to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So the different situation, but still Paul accounting their rebellion. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Again, a different situation, but God sent judgment. Nor, verse 9, let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Again, we have a different situation, but God's judgment coming upon the people. Nor, verse 10, complain as some of them did complain and the destroyed and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples that they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages has come. So Paul reminds the Corinthian believers, he reminds us today that the children of Israel were often guilty of various types of rebellion against the Lord, against Yahweh. And Paul reminded the Corinthians, he reminds us that we should consider God's judgment against the children of his own people, against the children of Israel, to use that as a deterrent to keep us in check, that it would keep us from turning away from Christ, from falling into the same sins. Ultimately, the first generation that came out of Egypt did not have the faith to enter into the promised land, all but two, Joshua and Caleb. So we're talking about the children of Israel. I thought it'd be interesting to look at what's happening in Israel today and some major stuff happening in Israel with Netanyahu has been tapped to form a government once again to become the prime minister uh, for all of Israel. That's what he's promising, that he would be the prime minister for all Israel. Now, he's been the prime minister before, and he's been the prime minister more than once. Netanyahu is very Trump-like. In fact, Trump and Netanyahu liked one another fairly well. And uh, just this last Sunday, he's been tapped by the president, so Israeli government's a lot different than us. They have a president, but their government is run by the Knesset, 120 seats in the Knesset, and a prime minister, much like we can compare to England. They have a king now, I was going to say queen. They have a king, but their government is run by parliament and their prime minister. And so November 13th, the president of Israel told Benjamin Netanyahu to form a government. That means he has to have 61 seats of the 120 seats in their Knesset to form that government. He has 28 days to form the government and maybe a few, two weeks further if necessary, but they're already saying that he'll probably form the government sooner rather than later. And they already have many agreements reached. So there's no party large enough, like um, we'll get into U.S. politics uh, after our next point, but um, the Republicans, the GOP, took the House this evening with 218 uh, members, 
now they have the majority in the House of Representatives here in the United States, and uh, that just happened right before we came to church. It was holding at 217 um, yesterday and today until this evening. And so they have the majority because they have that 218. They've met the 218 threshold. Well, there's no one party in Israel that can meet the 61-member threshold. So they have to form a government by bringing factions together to form the government. And so Netanyahu is working on that right now. Now, I, I like Benjamin Netanyahu. I think he's been good for Israel. And often uh, some of the things that he has said at the UN and hearing some of his speeches from times past, um, there's a lot of reasons for me to like him at least. But uh, this is a big deal. They're forming a government. Now it can go quick. Um, in Israel, all you have to do is kick out the prime minister, just like what happened in England recently. They had a new prime minister for less than two months, and they said, we don't like her. And so let's get somebody else. And they're working on somebody else, right? They already have someone else. Uh, their party still had control, but their party kicked out the prime minister for someone else. So it can come and go quickly. And uh, this has been going on for about the last year. They haven't really had a solid government. And so it would be good for Israel. I believe it would be at, at least. And, and that's happening right now. Another thing that happened recently well, this was last Friday that the UN, a UN committee votes for Israel to dispose of their nuclear weapons. Now, Israel has never admitted that they have nukes, but everybody already knows that Israel has nukes. But this is what the UN committee voted last Friday Israel to dispose of their nuclear weapons and allow for international inspectors. Sounds like something they should be demanding of Iran, but they didn't mention Iran in this. So it was a 152 to 5 vote that passed last Friday, overwhelmingly there, that Um, Israel should get rid of her nuclear weapons. The United States, Canada, Israel, and a couple of countries that I've never heard of abstained from voting, and the European Union Oh, okay, let me say that right. The European Union and three other, 23 other countries abstained from voting. The United States, Canada, Israel, and two other countries whom I've never heard of. There's 196 countries in our world today. Anyways, they voted against it, but it was. They were the five that were against it, and some just chose not to vote. So here's an interesting thing. We've heard a lot about Ukraine and Russia with a bomb a missile going into Poland uh, just yesterday, I believe it was, or two days ago. And ultimately, Poland ready. Poland sounds like they want to get into that war. They just seem very war hungry. And they were ready, like, let's get the UN together. We've been attacked. And uh, you guys 
So they want the resolution number four to get to resolution number five, which means the UN has to defend Poland and we have to show up with boots on the ground. So right now there's an investigation on that missile that went into Poland. Some are saying that it was actually from Ukraine as a defense mechanism that went astray. We haven't heard for sure yet. If it is from Ukraine, it's probably a U.S. missile that we gave them and it'd be pretty easy to tell. It's like this isn't Russian technology. But, so think about this. This is something that just, this, I think the U.N. has a different reason for Israel. Get rid of your nukes because they hate Israel, the majority of them. But 30 years ago, the UN said to Ukraine, get rid of your nukes. If you get rid of your nukes, anything happens, we'll be there and we'll protect you. That's what's got us into that situation right now. Three decades ago, I'm reading from an article. The newly independent country of Ukraine was briefly the third largest nuclear power in the world. Thousands of nuclear arms have been left on Ukrainian soil by Moscow after the collapse of the Soviet Union. Union in 1991, but in the years that follow, Ukraine made a decision to completely denuclearize. So they had this faith that the West would stand by them, and certainly the United States and the signatories and Great Britain would stand up for Ukraine should it come under threat, although the precise way was not really prescribed in the memorandum. So they didn't say how we were going to stand up for them. But there was that pledge, that promise, and a pledge from 1991 now has caused, it was after 1991, but briefly after 1991, has us in this mess today. Right now, President Biden is wanting to send another $37 billion into Ukraine. The thought is that uh, he's going to have a harder time doing it after January, so let's get the money there now, sooner rather than later, where he has a majority in both the House and Senate. And so just some thoughts. Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu to form a government to be their prime minister once again, the UN telling Israel, get rid of your nukes and have inspectors come into your country. Israel's not going to let that happen, but... Um, that is what happened with Ukraine many years ago. And because Ukraine has no nukes, um, they're not on an equal fo footing with Russia as far as that is concerned. We have been pledged to fight in their behalf. And we find that our country is uh, in a mess of a war right now that we don't have boots on the ground, but a lot of our aid is going into Ukraine. And... Uh, so it's a troubling situation there. So let's go on. Mixed multitude, they yielded to their intense cravings, verses 4 through 6. Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? And we remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, and the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic, 
But now our whole being is dried up and there is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Nothing but manna to eat for a year at this point. And they are troubled greatly over it. So I found it interesting. A couple of things. A mixed multitude. It's a Hebrew word that can be translated as ramble. Um, rabble, I mean. And uh, also being motley. So a motley collection of people from different types, different countries who came out with Israel. Exodus 12:38, a mixed multitude went up with them also and flocks and herds and a great deal of livestock. So they had this yielded to this intense craving. So it gives it a sense that they yielded to it as if they were actually eating the fish the onions, the leeks, the garlic of Egypt. But we read different translations of the Bible and the Holman Christian Standard in Numbers 11.4 says they had strong craving for other food. The NIV, they began to crave other food. The New American Standard had greedily, greedy desires or desired a desire. So They'd given into the cravings. They didn't have the food because they weren't in Egypt anymore. But their hearts, in their hearts, they were there. And it, it also seems that because of the mixed multitude, if you go on from at the end of verse 4, the mixed multitude in the beginning yielded to the intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again. So you have the multitude that yielded to the craving. Their complaints, that motley crew of people, caused the children of Israel to cry out. This mixed multitude who went up with them caused all of Israel to begin to complain against the Lord. And they began to long for the food of Egypt once again. In their hearts, they had rejected God's provision for the things of this world. God had provided the food of angels. And they said, we're drying up. We just, we can't handle the manna anymore. And uh, their souls were troubled. They were, at this point, a troubled nation. And I think that's where we're at right now in our country. We are a troubled nation. We have the Democratic Party, the GOPs, pretty much, uh, the two main parties in our nation, they're both spinning uh, the results of last week's election. Uh, but it's really troubling that we have things going on that are pulling us further away from the Lord. I just learned, didn't get it into my notes. There was no decision on it earlier this afternoon. But the Senate has passed um, a marriage act. It hasn't it's got to go to the house. It's got to get to the president's desk. We can be assured that the president we have right now will sign the act. But basically to codify um, homosexual marriage. And so in their minds, they're saying that like Roe versus Wade, the court could turn this over because um, homosexual marriage was an act that was not 
done by our laws, but by a judge. And so this could be turned over. So we're going to make it law. And this could open up a can of worms, and especially for the church, and force a lot of issues. And so that happened. I have no notes on that, but it's there. It's in play right now. And they voted on it. I knew it was coming up for a vote. I also knew that if I um, complained, I guess we'd have to have the whole state complain to our um, senators, our two senators here in Illinois, but they're very blue. And I've um, emailed our senators before and I always get, yeah, but I'm going to vote this way. So I know their response already. But the midterm elections, uh, there was no red wave, as many were forecasting. The U.S. Senate remains in Democratic control. And right now there's uh, 50 seats for the Dems, 49 for GOP. There's a runoff in Georgia between Warnock and Walker coming up next month. If Walker wins, it brings the party right back where we started. We had a split of 50-50 with the Vice President Harris holding the deciding vote, which will always favor the Democrats. And so no change there. Or, you know, maybe it'll be 51 and they won't need the Vice President. But really, in reality, there's no real change as long as the parties stay on each side and one party doesn't go over to the other for particular votes. The House of Representatives, like I said, um, earlier today, the Dems had 209 seats and the GOP had 217 seats. That 218th seat came out of California. So there's a little red happening in California. They might win three seats. And I just heard also that it looks like they're going to get a Republican mayor over L.A. Um, as well. So things are changing out there. We think they're they're finished. And there's folks out there in California saying we're not done yet. So once again, it seems that the slow counting of various states like Arizona seems to always favor the Democrats. Also in Alaska, they have this new system of ranked choice voting, which nobody really understands, but I'll read something about it for you in a minute. Um, it seems to be leaning to the Democrats, which isn't a surprise, but the latest vote tallies in Alaska in the first ranked choice voting, um, they don't have results yet because they, somebody had to get more than 51%, I believe, or 50% of the vote to become the candidate. And so they're all under. And so that means the top vote doesn't get the position, but the ranked choice, the one under. So second place wins. It's kind of weird the way it, yeah, it's weird. Um, so what they were saying for the Republicans in Alaska saying, when you do your ranking, just put my name on the ballot and don't put anybody else's name down. They have to accept the ballot with one name, but if you put other people's names down, then those other people's can be in play. And so a candidate can win outright if she, he or she wins more than 50% of the first place votes, but if not, the race goes to the rank choice tabulation, and that does not always mean the majority wins. So it's weird, 
But other states are looking at this saying, this could be the way that we could go too. So this is a testing ground in, in Alaska right now. Here in Illinois, we got bluer. We got deeper blue. And here's some of the tur turnout numbers uh, from 2022 and 2018. So four years ago, midterm election, the turnout this year, total turnout was 182,000. This is Lake County only, 182,254. Four years ago, it was 250,734. So it's 27% decrease in turnout or 68,480 people less voted. And that's this whole springboard of this message. It's like they want to be back in Egypt. They're happy with bondage. I'm just not going to vote. And it happened on both sides. Uh, Democrats voting 21% less from 2018 to 2022, but the Republicans voting 35% less, 41,000 plus less people voted for the GOP in Lake County alone. And so our county got only bluer, as did our state. We lost seats in the House and Senate uh, state-wise, um, representatives, I should say, down there. And um, it only got bluer right now. And it's, so that doesn't make me too happy. So it seems like there was this miscalculation on Roe versus Wade. And I'm going to read a bit of an article, how abortion, how abortion helped to blunt a red wave in the midterms. And uh, just a, a snippet of that, it says voters who supported Reproductive freedom turned out for Democrats in the midterms, blunting what was widely expected to be a Republican wave. Abortion came in a close second to inflation as voters' most important issue, according to NBC News exit polls, with 96% of Democrats listing abortion as their top concern among women voters, white college-educated voters. Early voters and Latino voters, abortion was their number one issue, according to the NBC exit poll, with more than six to 10 voters, including 27% of Republicans, saying they were dissatisfied with the Supreme Court's Dobbs versus Jackson decision that overturned Roe v. Wade. And so nearly almost 50 years of legalized abortion, it's clearly abortion has a stronger hold on our culture than is really believed and may have uh, caused the elections to go the way they did. So we have work to do. We have praying to do. So back to our passage. They're complaining about all we got is this manna to eat. And Moses goes on to explain the manna once again. Now the manna verses 7 through 9, was like coriander seed, and its color was like the color of deldium. And the people went about and gathered it on the ground on millstones or beat it 
in mortars and they cooked it in pans. They made cakes of it. It tasted like the taste of pastry prepared with oil. Wow. Have you ever just kind of dreamed that if I could eat sweets all the time <laughs> and be healthy, <laughs> it tasted like pastry. Deep fried, prepared with oil, deep fried pastry. This is like a double bad, right? And when the day, when the dew fell on the camp, not Dave dew, but the water dew, fell on the camp at night, the manna fell on it. So it was about a month and a half after departing Egypt, the children of Israel came into the wilderness of sin. That's the name of the wilderness the Bible gives it. I think it's a very interesting name. At that time, they stated that they would have rather died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt where they ate meat and bread to the full than to be killed by hunger in the wilderness. And that's when God began providing manna for them. So for a year, they have had this provision from the Lord, a year plus at this point. The name manna in the Hebrew, it's actually a word that is a question, what is it? They had no real description of this. But in Exodus 16, 15, Moses explained, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. So literally, it's a word that means what or what is it? In Psalm 78, 24 and 25, the psalmist, because he hadn't eaten manna for a year, had a different view of the bread of heaven, he said that God rained down manna for them to eat, given them from the bread of heaven, men ate angels' food, and he sent them food to the full. So the psalmist, who did not eat of this bread, called it angels' food. So it was deep-fried angel food cake that they were eating <laughs> for a year. We put all this together. <laughs> we have a similarity with the bread of life. We had communion tonight. And Jesus saying in John 6:35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never first and thirst. So we have some similarities with the manna that Israel ate in the wilderness and that of Christ, that manna came to Israel when they were dwelling in the wilderness of sin. The Lord came to us in our wilderness of sin to give his life as a ransom for our sins. The Israelites had to go out early to gather the manna. If they, uh, the sun came up and burned off the dew, the manna would disappear as well. So they had to come out each day, and it's good for us to begin each day in God's word, receiving from the Lord early. Each one had to gather the manna according to their own need, and we each have that responsibility to seek the Lord for our salvation according to the need that we have um, we seek the Lord. So we're each responsible to come to Jesus. I can't save you. I can't save my children. That's a responsibility that the Lord has given to each of us to come to Jesus in life-saving faith. When measured out according to God's standard, they had enough to satisfy, and Jesus always satisfies those who put their trust in him. And on the seventh day, they were to rest from gathering the manna to spend the day with family to worship God, and it's also good for us to 
Worship the Lord in a similar way to have those Sabbath rests. And finally, eating manna kept Israel alive for 40 years and partaking of Christ will keep us alive forevermore. Jesus said again in John 6, 48 through 50, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread that comes down from heaven that one may eat it and not die. Speaking of dying, I have a battery that's not dead yet, but it's getting close. So a quick change. I got a warning light up here. Maybe. We're green. Green is good. So in the world, we had the G20 leaders. Um, now, there's a meeting happening right now. Our president's over there right now. So there's stuff happening now. Not a lot of loose news coming out about that, uh, except for uh, President Biden spent three hours with uh, the leader of China yesterday, and we don't have a lot of information that's come out of that yet. But prior to this, in Sunday, October 30th, the G20 leaders met and committed to climate neutrality and the end of coal financing. So I'm going to read you some things that's happening in our world. Leaders of the world's biggest economies agreed Sunday, October 30th, to stop funding coal-fired power plants in poor countries and made a vague commitment to seek carbon neutrality by around mid-century, 2050. And this was wrapped up a Roman uh, summit that was in Rome, and then uh, they were going to meet with the United Nations Climate Conference in uh, Scotland. And so the United States and the European Union have set 2050 as their own deadlines for reaching net zero emissions while China, Russia, and Saudi Arabia are aiming for 2060, and the leaders of those three countries uh, didn't come to Rome for the summit. At the end of the G20, leaders arrived at the compromise, achieving climate neutrality by the around the mid-century, but hadn't set a date yet. So that push for uh, zero carbon footprints and... Uh, going to be hard to do, but that's a push that's happening. I said the Illinois got bluer, and just last month they closed, I think it was last month they closed um, our Waukegan coal plant, been producing electricity for 100 years here in Lake County in Waukegan, and that is done. They closed it. So they got rid of the nuke plant in Zion, got rid of the coal plant in Waukegan. I'm wondering, where are we getting electricity from? So, much like California, we're going to begin tapping other states to supply our electricity. And probably, we've already read in Illinois that there might be things like rolling brownouts and power outages. And so, how do you achieve this? Well, here's some way. This is happen, happening now. I think it's over on the 18th. But last Sunday... There was 
religious leaders gathering at Mount Sinai to receive climate justice Ten Commandments. So some 40,000 attendees flocked to the Sinai Desert. Now, they didn't allow all 40,000 to go to Mount Sinai. Egypt wouldn't allow that. But there was over 100 world leaders that came with them as well. Christian, Muslim, Jewish, other religious figures participating in this, what they title, Climate Justice Ten Commandments. So I'm going to read you the, the new Ten Commandments. They actually say 10 plus 1. So there's 11 commandments. They didn't even try to get in order. But this is their 10. Acknowledge a higher power like Alcoholics Anonymous, Anonymous, the Masonic Lodge that I've been dealing with lately. The first commandment is to acknowledge with humanity that we are partners with and subservient to the Creator. Vote climate, number two. Non-governmental organizations, the Peace Department, teaches that we have to hold governments and corporations accountable. And so no new drilling license or pipelines. Number three, do not murder. Since we know that millions of people, usually the poorest and indigenous, I was trying to dig it, but saying it wrong. Indigenous will die and suffer from the effects of extreme heat and cold, wildfire, rising sea levels, supercharged storms. Why doesn't the business's usual approach of most leaders make it make them accessories to murder? So they're saying, let's charge our business community with murder. Number four, do not steal. Climate change is robbing our future. We're robbing nature of her ability to regenerate. Number five, do not bear false witness. There are sins of omission. Politicians not telling the truth about the real and immediate dangers of climate change. Now, I've tracked this stuff and I, I've looked at this for a number of years, but we can tie some of this all the way back to the early 70s where they were saying, if we don't fix things in 12 years, it's over. And so um, the immediate dangers, uh, there's been a lot of 12-year cycles of it's over since 1970, and we're still here. So yes, uh, I believe we should be responsible for the things that God has given us. I think climate change is a way to wrangle the people into obedience in a forced way. And so um, do not bear false witness. Our politicians are not telling us about the immediate dangers of climate change and their sins of commission. At the same time, they're approving new drilling and pipeline license, licenses somewhere, not here in the United States. Number six, keep the Sabbath. A global weekly non-carbon day of rest could reduce emission by the world. So we're take, just sit in your house in the dark for one day, once a week, everything will be good. Number seven, you shall innovate, innovate, innovate. Technology uh, can accelerate um, 
decarbonization. And so collaboration is what they're saying. Number eight, honor Mother Earth. Honor Mother Earth. Climate change is a form of arson against the very home and our lives and all the creatures living on it. Number nine, do not covet. We have enough. And we have science and technology. We need to build a world in which people can have enough. And uh, I saw one of these worlds that they're building in one of the communities in Africa where they're um, printing homes that are pretty much enough for you to... uh, well, in Africa, they build brick or straw huts. In South Sudan, they're called tukuls, and uh, pretty much something of that size, about 12 feet in circumference, that will be enough. All you need is a 12-foot home that you guys can be in. So do not covet. We have enough. Number nine. Number 10, do not continue to be hoodwinked. Oil and gas companies um, and leaders believe that reducing your have you believing that you reducing your carbon footprint individually is enough? And yet the fossil fuel companies and government leaders together game the system to favor long-term burning of fossil fuels, energies, and transportation. So they're saying they're not going to change anything. I think they're trying to change things so quickly that we're not going to be ready for it. And that's the big problem here. And so the plus one, do not give up hope or the fight. And they compare it to this. The rise of the ancient Egyptian dynasties conceded with the rise with the rise of the worship of Ra, the sun god. A new era of renewables must shine out of Egypt this November. Our civil, civilization, like that of ancient Egyptians, will be doomed when leaders... Of all faith, ascend Mount Sinai. This happened last Sunday during the COP27. And they will seek to touch the hearts of humanity and deliver a prophetic message. Signs of the time. Church, signs of the time. Recently, the Christian Post reported over one-third of senior pastors believe good people can earn the way to heaven. One-third, you can work your way to heaven. This is the conclusion of a survey conducted by the Culture Research Center of Arizona Christian University. The survey polled around 1,000 Christian pastors examining dozens of beliefs they hold and found only 37% hold a biblical worldview. The survey found 39% believe that each individual must determine their own truth. 38 do not believe Human life is sacred. 37, believe having faith in general is more important than in what or more specifically whom one has faith. These are pastors. And here's some statistics that Ken Ham drew out of Barna's most American creates a custom worldview. So here's some statistics that the poll was through George Barna, but Ken Ham brought these things together. That seven out of 10 U.S. adults call themselves Christians, yet only six in 100 actually have biblical worldview. 
56% believe God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, Islam. 38% see Jesus as a great teacher, but he was not God. 60% the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. 65% everyone is born innocent in the eyes of God. No inherent sin nature. 37% religious belief is a matter of personal opinion, not objective truth. So we close out. Moses heard the people weeping, verse 10, their families, everyone at the tent door. The anger of the Lord was greatly aroused. Moses also was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, why have you afflicted your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight? And why have you laid the burden of all these people on me? And he said, did I conceive all these people? Did I beget them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a guardian carries a nursing child to the land which you, you swore to give to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give these people? For they weep all over me, saying, give us meat that we may eat. And I am not able to bear all the burden of this people alone because the burden is too heavy for me. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. Moses had a cry session there. If I found favor in your sight, do not let me see my wretchedness. So he cried out to the Lord. What he didn't realize is that God was bearing about 99.9% .9 of the burden. Moses had a little bit of it, no doubt. And he would solve this, and we'll read about it when we get into the teaching next time. I want to close out just by saying that mixed multitudes can be dangerous for believers. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. What is fellowship with righteousness? What, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? We're to live in this world, but we're to live as witnesses of Jesus Christ and not let the world turn our hearts from the Lord. Rather, we are to help turn the hearts of others toward Jesus. But as we just read from that survey about the church and pastors, it seems that the opposite is happening. People's hearts are turning away from Christ and toward the world. And even though the world's hatred against Jesus and his followers Jesus did not pray that God would take us out of the world, but rather prayed that the Father would keep us from the evil one to keep us in this world. So we learn lessons from number 11. It's dangerous to heed the cravings of the mixed multitude or unbelievers. We also, when we feel alone or overwhelmed like Moses did at the end of this chapter or these verses that we read, we need to know that God is there supporting us and that he will supply our daily needs just as he had done with Israel in times past. He would continue to do so for their future. And when Moses cried out to the Lord, the gift of the Holy Spirit was upon Moses, would go on 70 other men to help him lead that nation. God answered his prayer. So we had a lot to talk about tonight, some of the things going on in the world, in our own country, in our state, and uh, more to come. It's changing fast. Let's stand and pray. Father, thank you for your word and for our time together tonight. Um, 
we just see the signs of the times, Lord, these things coming together, not to scare us, but to prepare us, to give us an understanding of those things you would have us to do as believers. Lord, we have our work cut out for us, but thank you, Lord Jesus, that you sent your Holy Spirit to be upon us, to be in us, and to work through us. And we pray that you do so now. So bless each family represented here tonight. Bless those who are listening on the radio, listening or watching through social media. Let your blessing be upon them as well. And I pray, Father, that you would be with us always. In the name of Jesus, amen. Pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.